0: Like surprises, you like finding things, I mean good things, not not bad things, right? you like finding things in uh, yes okay, good in in two thousand and thirteen, there was this couple in northern california we don 't know their name, uh, their identity remains hidden to this day, and uh, they, they didn 't want to be known and i 'll explain why they were out on their property in Northern California, and as they were walking along wouldn 't you know it? They came across um, this, this old rusty can that was at the base of a tree. And they saw the can, and they kind of looked at it, and they thought, well, that's, that's interesting. So, so they reached down, and they, and they picked the can up. It was a tin can. It was an old can. It had a lid on it, and, uh, and it, was, it was heavy. Uh, they thought, well, this is interesting. What on earth could be inside of this can? So they took the can inside, and they had to kind of pry open the lid and wouldn't you know it, when they took the lid off, they were shocked at what they saw. There were gold coins inside of the can. Gold coins. And they poured out of the can. And, and so what they thought was, I, I wonder if there's more back there. So they went back to the tree. And when it was all said and done, they dug up eight of these tin cans, all of them filled with gold coins. When it was all said and done, the estimated value of what they found on their property was over $11 million in gold coins. Pretty spectacular, huh? So, kids, here's the moral of the story. When you get home, you need to go around your property. No, I'm just kidding. Now you're going to have all these kids digging up their, 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 their property. Um, they were in gold rush territory. And like I said, we don't know the name of, the, of this couple. They didn't want to be known. Uh, they eventually auctioned off the coins, but they didn't want to be known because they didn't want people to come to their property and start digging up trying to find more uh, gold coins. But it's a fun little story, right? It's kind of a treasure hunt story. They found treasure. And, and you know what's interesting is that uh, Jesus one time told a story like this. Maybe you're familiar with it. Look with me in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 13 is where we find a story that Jesus tells. Because like in our day, in Jesus' day, a story like that is intriguing. It's, it's, it's fun. It draws our attention to things. And so Jesus did this one time. He told a story about a, a treasure that was discovered. Actually, two treasures. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the first, and then we'll look as well at the second. It picks up for us when you look at it, Matthew chapter 13. It's two very short, very small parables that Jesus told. It's in verse 44. Let me just read to you this little story. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy... He goes and he sells what? All that he has and buys that field. The implication being that as he buys the field, he also buys the what? The treasure. Almost like the story that we just heard, Jesus tells the story of somebody who goes to a field, finds a treasure, hides it back up, and then goes and he, and he buys this field so that he can have the treasure. Now, I, I want to give you a little context here. Because did you know that, what Jesus describes here would have not been all that uncommon in his day. The the idea of finding a treasure in a field. You see, in our day, uh, when we accumulate wealth and it's mon- and monetary in nature, we often put our money and we, we put it in a bank. Or we invest our wealth in, in stocks and bonds and savings accounts. And that's what we do with, with our wealth. Maybe we put it in real estate. In Jesus' day, your wealth... Well, when you accumulate, it was typically in land, it was in animals, but those who were, were wealthy, the, the more kind of upper crust of society, they would often have their wealth also in treasure. They would have it in coins and they would have it in jewels. But the difference between our day and Jesus' day is this, they didn't have banks. They didn't have a place where you could take the, the, the monetary, the, the physical treasures that you had and put it somewhere for safe keeping. And so, what did you have to do with that stuff? Well, what you had to do with it is you had to hide it, and where was the best place to hide it? Well, typically, it was in the ground. To put it in some earthenware, and then mark out your spot, put it in the ground. And it appears that, that this is what Jesus is describing. In this story, he he's saying you you know how sometimes people they would do this and they and they'd hide their treasure because one of the things that would also happen in Jesus' day was there were wars, there were battles, there were plundering armies. And because you didn't have banks, when, when you had valuables in your home and you knew a plundering army was coming in, you didn't want them to carry your stuff off so you would hide it in the ground. In fact, 30 years after the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there was this famous antiquities uh, historian by the name of Josephus. Are you familiar with him at all? Uh, he, re, he recorded the history of the Jewish people. And Josephus, he actually wrote about this very thing. Now, I, I just want to read you this. Um, he says this, when Rome came back through Israel after the time of of Jesus and and began to plunder it and conquer it again because of rebellion, Josephus wrote, no small quantity of riches that had been in that city were still found among its ruins, a great deal of which the Romans, listen to this, he says, dug up. But the greatest part was discovered by those who were captives and so they carried it away. I mean the gold and the silver and the rest of that most precious, precious furniture which the Jews had and which the owners had treasured up, listen to this, underground against the uncertain fortunes of war. So Jesus is, is telling a story that wouldn't have been unknown to people in that day. A man goes and he hides a treasure in a field. Somebody comes along later and, and discovers it. Now, some people, they hear this story and you kind of wonder to yourself, um, it seems a bit unethical what this guy does. Did, did, you, did any of you feel that way? He, like, finds this treasure in the field of another person, and rather than going to the owner of the field and saying, hey, man, just want to let you know, I just found, you know, all these gold coins, he, he covers it back up, he goes, and then he buys the field without telling the owner. I mean, just on the surface of it, it just feels a little shady, Right? The the funny thing is, like, first off, I don't think Jesus wants to get into a big explanation about it. But according to Jewish law at that time, it was acceptable. If you were working in somebody's field and you found something, um, it was okay. You didn't have to report it to the owner. In fact, he goes and he buys the field from this guy, implying that he gets the treasure, which means that that owner of that field, probably it wasn't even his to begin with, right? He didn't even know about it which was common in those days because a guy would, would get carried off after a war. He would have buried a treasure. Somebody else would take over his field. So Jesus comes and he tells this story, all right? And he, and he comes and he says, listen, a guy comes across a treasure in a field. And, and what does he do? He sees its value. He sees its worth. And, and when he recognizes the worth of it, he takes all that he has, and notice the very end of it, in his joy. He goes and he sells all of his earthly possessions, not some, all that he has to purchase that, that field. Now, on the face of it, what Jesus is wanting to communicate to us in this story should be very, very evident. I'm just going to start with a, with a simple statement, then we're going to flesh this thing out. Jesus, as he tells this parable, is trying to make at least one point to begin with. The point being, there can be a treasure that is worth giving up everything else in order to have it. So track with me. I want you to hold that thought. Jesus is at minimum saying, there is a treasure. I'm telling you this story so that you can see that there is a treasure that can exist. That is of such value and worth that you should give up everything in order to have it. Now, the reason why I can say at minimum that's what Jesus wants us to start thinking about is because of the next story that comes. Look at verse 45. Are you ready? Verse 45 says, again, Jesus is saying, I, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to re- repeat myself here. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. It's a merchant this time, not, not just some guy working in a field. Like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that what? He had, and he bought the pearl. So, so just like the first story, we have somebody who finds a treasure of, of great value. When they recognize what they have, he gives up everything in order to have it. This time it's a merchant, somebody who's actually seeking out treasure. The first guy stumbles across it. And he's like, oh, my goodness, look at what I found. This guy is intentionally looking for a treasure of great value, a pearl. Pearls in Jesus' day were akin to diamonds in our day. Um, but even more so, we know from history that, Cle- that uh, Queen Cleopatra had a pearl in her possession that was worth 25 million denarii. We've heard denarii as we've been going through the parables of Jesus. That's about a day's wage. In, in modern day estimations, it's somewhere around $4 billion. So, 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 so pearls had tremendous worth, tremendous value. And this merchant discovers one. The person who has the pearl doesn't quite recognize its value, but this guy does. And what does he do? He gives up everything in order to go after the pearl so church family friends that are here today i want us to understand that at minimum jesus is coming in this story and he's saying i want you to perk up your ears listen there can be a treasure that is worth giving up everything else in order to to have it that's kind of point number one but jesus isn't just simply coming and making an observation about certain treasures be of being of great worth He's not just simply coming and he's communicating it to us, principles of investment, i.e. if you find a treasure of great value, give up everything and purchase it. No, Jesus tells these stories because, did you see it? Did you hear it? Did, were you aware of it? Jesus has one very specific treasure in mind that he wants us to see is of, of such inestimable an worth and a value that you and I should be willing to give up everything in order to receive it, to have it be a part of our lives. There's one treasure. Not a treasure, there is one treasure that Jesus is trying to get us to see and believe is of that much value. And what is it he tells us? He tells us it twice. He says, it is my kingdom. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Twice Jesus says, this is the treasure that I'm talking about. Jesus is speaking to us and he's saying, I tell you, The kingdom of heaven is of such value, of such worth, that you should be willing to let go of everything else in order to receive it. If there's anything in your hands, you should drop it like it's hot in order to take hold of this. Jesus is saying, when you encounter my kingdom, like these two men encountered their treasures, you should do what these men did. You should see its value, and you should give up everything in order to possess it. This is what Jesus is saying. And I just want to pause here. I just want to pause for a minute and say, Jesus, God incarnate, through his word, today, June of 2020, is coming and speaking as he spoke back then, and he's saying to us something very clear. He's saying, do you know that a treasure exists, i.e., my kingdom that is of such value and such worth that when you encounter it, when you become aware of it, you don't wait one second, but you reorient the entirety of your life for it. Jesus is saying to you, he's saying to me, are you aware of my kingdom? Are you aware of its value? Are you aware of its worth? Because if you are, and if you take hold of it, then he says, as we see demonstrated by these men, it then becomes, it becomes a source of inexplicable, never-ending joy for you. That when you actually give up everything in order to have it, as it says of the one man, in his joy, he took hold of it. So this is where we're going to go through the rest of the message. Do you know, do you believe that there is a treasure of such value and worth that right now in Valley Center, Jesus is saying to you today, your life should be completely oriented. Your life should be completely given over to taking hold of this kingdom. And so it begs for us like two really quick questions. One actually answers the next one. What is the kingdom of heaven? <laughs> what is this? What is this treasure? Do we really understand what he's talking about here? Because he says, you need, this is what you need. This is of, a, of the greatest worth and value to you is the kingdom of, of heaven. And then that leads to the second question, which is, why is it so valuable? So let me just say this as simply as I can. When you read Jesus say, again, the kingdom of heaven is compared to, when he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, do you know what he's talking about? It's it's actually just so simple, but so profound. He's talking about the kingdom where he reigns as king. That's what the kingdom of heaven is. It's the place where the full expression of the reign of Jesus Christ is known and is experienced. It is the realm of salvation. Jesus came into the world to usher in his kingdom. You, you see... What we don't necessarily pick up naturally is the fact that the entirety of this place, of the world that we live in, was created by God for his glory. It's, it's his domain. In our sin, we reject the reign of God as king over all things, and we don't accept his domain over us. And so Jesus comes in and says, because of your sin, because of my sin, because of our rejection of him, a punishment is leveled against all of humanity that inevitably leads to death, both physical and spiritual. But Jesus says, oh, but it is possible. It is possible for you not to to live in and experience the, the penalty and the punishment for your sin if you are a part of my kingdom once again. And so Jesus comes into the world that, you know this verse, that we might have life and have it to the what? To the full. And so Jesus comes in to establish his kingdom by paying the penalty for our sin, by taking the punishment of sin upon ourselves to free us from sin's penalty, from sin's punishment, from sin's power so that one day we might experience his full presence. You see, right now, the kingdom of heaven, it's a spiritual domain, the Bible says. But one day, guess what? Jesus comes back down. We have this image in our mind in Christianity sometimes that, that, you know, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. I even said it to somebody this morning, and that's true. In the sense that one day, for those who are in Jesus Christ to accept him as the righteous reigning king we enter into the kingdom of heaven but you know what the kingdom of heaven's coming back down here one day and jesus is going to to make all things new guess what where here and so right now the kingdom is spiritual but jesus says my kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and so what is the kingdom of heaven it is the place where jesus christ reigns It's the realm of salvation. It's the realm where man and woman can once again be in the relationship with the God who created them. Where we can live as his image bearers because Jesus Christ has freed us from sin's power and its penalty. Praise the Lord for that. It's the place where there is no condemnation. It's the place where sins are forgiven. It's the place where life is experienced in its fullness all the pain all the aches all the covets all the racial disharmony all the injustice that has no place in his kingdom you know that in fact jesus says one day he's going to wipe away every tear from the from their eye why because in his kingdom jesus reigns as king and so you want to know when he says the kingdom of heaven should be compared to jesus is saying Do you want to know why The kingdom of heaven is a treasure that you should give up everything else in order to possess because it's in the kingdom of heaven that you were made to exist in the first place. And right now, apart from Jesus, you don't live in that kingdom and you have no shot at that kingdom. But when you take hold of Jesus the king, he says, then you have that. And then there's this inexpressible joy that comes because you realize, I've got what I was made for. See everything right now. Anything that brings you joy, anything that brings me comfort, any person, any place, anything is but just a shadow—a shadow of the pleasure and joy that you and I were made to experience by being in perfect relationship with our God. It was a number of years ago that um, we took our oldest two girls to Disneyland. They were little, and I and I remember that when they were little, like three, five years of age, um, I had shown them pictures online of, of Disneyland. And they knew the characters, and they could see the rides, and it was fun to show them the pictures and to see their faces, really get excited about this place called, called Disneyland, and to be able to go there one day and to, to experience it. And I remember we, for a Christmas gift, we said, this is your Christmas gift. We're going we're gonna to go to Disneyland. And, and I'll tell you what actually happened. We got to take them to Disneyland, and it was a great day and a great experience. But could you have imagined... If I had shown them those pictures of Disneyland, and they looked at those pictures, and then the day came and I said, we're going to go to Disneyland, and they said, no, we'd rather not go. We, we like looking at the pictures. Why don't you want to go? Well, you know, it's going to take two hours to get there, Dad, and I get kind of car sick, and it's just, it's just not it's just not worth it to, to go to Disneyland. Like, what kid in their right mind is going to think that? And if they do, you as a parent are like, now I'm going to be self-righteous. You idiot, why would you think that, right? Like, that's what you're going you're gonna to think. Why would you possibly think that... Looking at a picture is better than than going. Anybody that said, I'm content with the picture. Any kid that was like, I really don't want to go. You do everything in your power to say, don't you? You don't understand. Jesus, as he comes here and as he shares his parable, what he's trying to open your eyes and my eyes up to is this. My kingdom, the place where I exist, where I dwell with my people, where you are blessed for, for knowing me is a place is of such value and of such worth that you should be willing to give up anything and everything to be a part of it. So I want to expand on something I said a moment ago. There can be a treasure that is worth giving up everything else in order to have it. And the treasure is the kingdom of heaven. To be in right relationship with Jesus Christ But now, friends, here's where we come to it. Here's here's where we have this parable confront us today. Because some of you are like, yeah, I'm buying into that. I've always agreed with that. I know how valuable Jesus is to me. But listen, Jesus told these parables so we would not only understand the value of the kingdom of heaven, but to confront us And the confrontation being, what is today your response to encountering the kingdom? You see, the moment I tell you this is what the kingdom of heaven is, is it's a place where Christ reigns, there is a confrontation. You are no longer like the merchant or like the person in the field before they found the treasure. Are you tracking with me? Today, you have been made aware of, through Jesus, this kingdom exists, and it's of a, of a value and a worth that none can possibly fully get their minds around. And so there's a confrontation. You've now been exposed to it. You've now encountered it. So what are you gonna do with it? Are are you following me? You can't just hear of Jesus Christ. You can't just hear of His kingdom and who He is and what He does. Well, well, you can. But there's only two. There's only two things to do. Either one. You. You lay down your life and you give up everything and and you submit yourself to him. Or two, you go on existing as though you never saw the treasure to begin with. One way leads to life and inexplicable joy. The other leads to, let me just say this as gently as I can, damnation and hell. Like like those are the two roads that Jesus says you're going to go down here. You see, Jesus told these parables so that we we would be confronted. We would be confronted and ask ourselves the question, how have we responded? How have we responded? Jesus makes it clear that there is truly only one proper response. It's not to see the treasure and move on. The proper response is the the response of both men in this story. What did both men do? They submitted the entirety of their lives, everything that they had earned, everything that they had valued. They were willing to turn all of those things over to take hold of the treasure. My friends, this is what Jesus is saying to us. This is what your response must be. You cannot just let it pass by. You see, there's a treasure of such great worth and value that the entirety of our lives should be given over to it. And what is that treasure? It's the kingdom of heaven. But here's the second thing that Jesus is saying, my friends. He's saying full and total commitment is how you must embrace Jesus. When you look at what these two men did, Jesus is actually setting forth for the follower of Jesus, the pattern that we are to live our lives. To embrace the kingdom of heaven is to embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. And listen to me, Christianity has no room for partial commitment. Let me just say it one more time. Christianity following Christ has no room for partial commitment. These guys didn't sell some of what they had. These guys didn't give up some of what they had. These guys turned over the entirety of their lives with great joy to embracing the treasure. Jesus is saying the same should be true of us. I try to think of a phrase that resonates with me, something that I could come back to time and time again, even this week as I was being confronted with with this message. And here's something that just kept coming back to me. Um, A half-hearted Christianity is no Christianity at all. A Christianity that says, I'm partially in with Jesus in the kingdom, but also keeping my toe in the water over here. It, this, this is not what Jesus calls us to. In fact, consider these men in the story. I wrote this down this week. They realize there's no halfway to getting what they're going to get. There's no trying things out. There's no incremental movement towards the treasure. This is all or nothing. They have to risk everything. They have to give up those things or turn over those things that they would have even cared about. When you give up all of your possessions like these guys do in order to take hold of the kingdom, like th- there had to be things in their lives that, that meant something to them. There had to be things in their lives that they said, this is worth and value to me, but but, but not more than this thing. They sell everything and they're willing to do it. They're willing to go all the way to get the beauty of what they see. They see its value. And Jesus would hit this point a couple other times in his earthly ministry. Do you know this passage? Matthew 10, 37 and 39. Let me just read you. This is Jesus. This isn't David. This This is Jesus. Matthew 10, 37. Whoever loves father or mother, you know this passage? Whoever loves father or mother more than me, I'm sorry, mom, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Jesus' word's not mine. If that doesn't sound like there is there's nothing of more worth and value than taking hold of Jesus I I don't know what is. Do you see how I'm saying a half-hearted Christianity is no Christianity at all? There's not a partial commitment. There's not a dipping your toe in the water. He's either Savior and Lord, or he's truly nothing to you. Like, that might seem like a really, you know, black and white, but Jesus just said it is that black and white. I'm either your Savior and I'm your Lord, or, or you're truly not following me. In Matthew sixteen twenty four, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him, who can finish it, deny himself. There it is again. It's the exact same thing that he's trying to let us see in this parable. Listen, you can't have the kingdom without the king. You can't have the kingdom without the king. To embrace the kingdom of heaven, to embrace Jesus Christ as king, you must say in your heart and mind, not once, but throughout your life, there is nothing that is more worthy. There is nothing that is of more value to me than the Savior and God, Jesus Christ. There must be a continued denial of self. There must be a continued denial of seeking pleasures and seeking those things above and beyond him. That's what this parable is about. So my question for us today, as we think about it, is, does this reflect the Christianity that I believe in? Does this, my very life, reflect what Jesus is talking about here Have I accepted and embraced him in this way or or do I hold on to things and do I add to my life? Do I make the kingdom fit my agenda or does the kingdom drive my agenda? I want to just close with just two applications here. They're real simple because Jesus is really simple. This This is the two shortest parables that he he tells. Um, The first application is this. We've been now confronted with the kingdom. And so I believe there's some here today that the message for Jesus is this you have now been made aware of my kingdom. You've now been made aware that there is something that exists in the world that you must give your life totally and completely over to, that there's no standing on the fence. It's either dying to yourself and trusting in me fully for your salvation and trusting me fully for your assurance, trusting me fully to provide for you what only I can do. For some of you, the question is, will today you embrace that kingdom and will you do so by confessing And letting go of those things that you've held to for your own self-justification and self-righteousness. Will you embrace a new king for your life who doesn't have your name? Will you embrace Jesus as the king? That's number one. I don't know who you are, but it's as as simple as praying and confessing, Jesus, I'm no longer king. You are king. I recognize my sin. I recognize I fail at ruling my own life, and I need you. There's some here today that might need to hear that message but there's a lot of us like myself that need to hear another message. I've seen a lot of heads kind of nodding and agreeing with me. Jesus, kingdom, good, you know, devil, bad, you know, those kind of things. Like, yeah, I'm tracking with you. You know, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. I reorient my life. Got to be about Jesus. Like, yeah, because I'm there too as I'm doing it. But, But what we have to ask ourselves is this. Does my life actually today as a follower of Jesus reflect that the kingdom is of ultimate value to me? Does my life today reflect that I have truly accepted the reign of the king in my life? I'm going to give you really quickly five tests that will help you today evaluate that. Are you ready? You're not going to like this. I didn't like it, so I get to share my pain. Five tests to say, Jesus says, that for me today, the kingdom is of inestimable value, that, that, that my life must be submitted fully over to him. So I'm going to ask you five questions. I'm going to set up five tests to, to let you evaluate. Is my life given over to the king, or are there areas of my life that are still given over to me? The first test is a test that I call the solitude test. The solitude test is simply this. In the quietness and the stillness, When you're by yourself driving in your car, when you're at sleep at night, what is the thing that your mind goes to first? What is the thing that you find yourself thinking about when you don't have to think about anything at all? Now, I know some wives are hitting their husbands and they're saying, he doesn't think about anything anytime, right? You know, that's not what I'm talking about. Now, our minds, for some of us, you take the solitude test. Where does your mind go? What do you find yourself daydreaming about, thinking about, wanting to have? Does it run to the things of Christ? Or is there this inner focus on oneself? That's the solitude test. The second test is what I call the nightmare test. It's not a fun one, but let me explain what I mean by it. It's a test that you ask yourself the question, what in your life right now, if it was taken away from you, would devastate you? Can you identify something that in Your heart and mind, you say, if I lost this, life would not be worth living. Like, these are different tests for different people. Maybe you need to take all of them, but but is there something in your life right now that you say that if I didn't have this, life wouldn't be worth living? I'm here to tell you today, that's your treasure, and your treasure is not Jesus. See what I just did there? Because if you have the treasure, if you have the kingdom, if you have Christ, then there is nothing that can be taken from you that Jesus himself does not Fill up within you. Third test. Are you ready for this one? You're gonna squirm. I know I do. It's called the budget test. Jesus gives us an illustration of these two men, and it says that they give up everything in order to take hold of the kingdom. The budget test has to do with how we spend our money. Everything that we have comes from the Lord. And I hear Christians all the time say, Glory, yes, I believe it. Everything they have, it comes comes from Jesus. Does the use of your money demonstrate that to be true? We're a church that says that we gather, grow, give, and go. One of the reasons why we say that we give is because we believe that everything that we have, everything that we have is his, and actually when we give of our offerings, when we give back to him, all that we're doing is returning to him what already belongs to him. And so the budget test for me in my heart is, is God an afterthought in how I spend my money or is he the first thing that I think about when I set up my budget? It's the budget test. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How do I know where my treasure is? Check your solitude. What do you think about? Check your nightmares. What if you lose it? You'd want to jump off a bridge. Check your budget. Does, that, does the use of what God's already given me show that I value him, or is, am I just hoarding and saving for myself? Fourth test is the time test. It's like the budget test. We all have a limited amount of time what is given over to the Lord in service to him, what's given over purely to myself, my hobbies, my pleasures. If there's no room built in for ministering to others, serving, giving of our time, then we have to ask ourselves, is he really our treasure? And then finally, and this test is one that you must go into with great caution. And only if you're truly humble before the Lord, it's called the friend test. The friend test is going to somebody you know who's a mature believer in the Lord, and asking them, does my life to you illustrate that Jesus is the pearl of great price? Does my life reflect that I treasure him above all things? Like, first off, you better have a good relationship with this person. You better be humble before you ask him the question. But this, church, this is what Jesus is saying. So, so here's what I want to do this morning. There's a treasure in it that exists that is being a part of the kingdom of God through his son, Jesus Christ, that, that to receive it, to receive it, here's the thing. They don't give up everything and then encounter it. What happens is that they encounter this message and then they give up things for it. Because you don't earn this kingdom, but when you hear it, when you feel it, when you respond to it, then it, it, it forces you to say, if it's really of this worth, then nothing else can be placed before it. So here's what I want you to do. I just want you to bow your heads with me really fast. As we come before the Lord, I just want you to ask yourself, take a moment. Maybe it's the solitude test. Maybe it's the budget test. Maybe it's the nightmare test. Just just ask yourself, did God reveal anything to you as I ask those questions? Like right now, if you're thinking to yourself, oh, can we just get on with this? I'm like, "Eh," not treasuring the kingdom right now um, because this is a time that the Lord is wanting to speak to us as his people. To reorient our hearts, that's why we gather here. And so right now in the quietness, did he reveal something to you? Would you confess it to him? Maybe it's one thing. Maybe it's two things. Maybe you just need to go to him right now and say, Lord, I'm hearing, I'm receiving. I I just don't even know if my heart is fully in this or, or not. So, Lord, would you just open up and reveal to us as your people? Lord, what it would look like for us on an individual basis to to truly continue to live in and respond to this glorious gospel and news that we have a king and a savior, and his name is Jesus. So, Lord, we know that you hear the prayers of your people. We know that your spirit will work in us, and so do that work, we pray and we ask. And all God's people said, amen, amen.